Thanks, Chris, and thank you, uh, all the preparation that goes in for leading us in worship and um, the guys in the back that do all the audio and visual, uh, just aiding our worship, letting those things point us to Jesus Christ and uh, stir in our hearts the truth. I'm really, really grateful. I think because I've grown up in church a lot of years, that some things seem pretty familiar to me. I never get tired of them, but when I read scriptures like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's familiar territory. I, when I read, uh, in my father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I mean, those things are familiar. I, I've known those for a long, long time. When I just kind of reflecting and thinking about the, the story uh, that we talked about last week, actually three stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons. There were two of them that were lost, estranged from the father. Um, so those are familiar to me. The passage that we're going to look at today is one step removed from that familiarity. So I've, like, I don't think I've ever seen a magnet of, of the passage we're talking about today or kind of summarizing it, or I don't think this is like VeggieTales episodes never went to Luke 16, which is where we'll be today, to kind of pull out a lesson there because it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of passage. Yet, I mean, on the heels of Luke 15 where Jesus has talked, I mean, is Luke 16 where Jesus is still talking. And he tells a story, and I, I want to remind you of some words from Tim Keller that I shared with you last week is when Jesus tells stories, we call them parables, but when Jesus tells stories, parables, they're not to warm our hearts necessarily, they're to shatter our categories. They're to help us think a little bit differently. So if you have your Bibles, if you could take them and turn to Luke 16, if you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, it is page 604 is where, where we'll be, Luke 16. And I'm going to ask uh, Alton Haynes to come and to read this passage for us this morning. Luke 16. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. And I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. That when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. 
One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Do we understand, thank you, Alton, for reading. Do we understand the basics of this story that Jesus just told? There's an owner who has a manager. That manager would function today like a CFO, chief financial officer, or a COO, chief operating officer, some combination of the two. This manager had the ability, like his decisions, his actions were, were binding on the owner. He represented the owner. The manager is given a termination notice for mismanagement, and he, he doesn't panic, he thinks, and begins to go about it, and he needs to build some better relationships than he has, so he, you know, we, we get to kind of peer into his brain in this story, and he says to himself, this is what I've got to do. So he meets with his owner's debtors, and it's out in red. I mean, he takes, there's someone that owes 100. He says, oh, quickly, now well, why don't we write 50 on this? The debtor's happy. The debtor thinks, like, maybe this guy helped me out a little bit. He's made a friend. Same thing, 100, the bill is 100. Why don't you write down 80 on that? How does that number sound to you? Everybody's happy. He's doing that with the owner's money. He likely builds some pretty instant friendships with the debtors. And in verse 8, it's a very, very interesting verse. It's a strange one. Again, the master doesn't say he condemns. He says he commends, commends the, the dishonest manager. I, I think the commendation is almost something like, I got to hand it to you. You, you, you were smart. I, I think that's the general tone of the story. Got to hand it to you. You handled, you were smart in the way you handled that. So as we read this, I mean, I, there's lots of things that we need to pull out, but I, I can't help but read this story. I can't help but read lots of stories in Luke and impress on us. And I, I think it's just worth saying again and again and again until we truly understand it, is the big picture that's kind of underlying all this story is that all of life is a stewardship that we have from God. All of life is a stewardship from God. That means we are not owners This story alludes to it. Lots of other places spell it out explicitly. We are not owners. We are managers. We are stewards. We we are not owners. God is the owner. We manage, in verse 12, that which is another's. It's not our own. God is the owner. And perhaps you'd say, Curtis, I'm I'm actually, I don't identify as a Christian, and and so I, I... I kind of think I do own it. And, and we can do that thought experiment of, of you owning, then, then who are you accountable to? You live the way you want to live. 
You kind of make up what's uh, right in your own mind. You give and you live as you see fit. But Christians recognize something very, very different. And that is, all that I have has been given to me by God. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. Do you, do you understand that? Do we realize that? God gives you life. God gives you health. God gives you circumstances. God gives you talents. God gives you skills. All these things are are not your own, but they're yours to manage. First Chronicles 29, this is going back like way, way back into Hebrew scripture. It says, all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. All things come from you and of your own. Only the things that you give to us, are we even able to give anything back? All of it is God's. God is the owner of everything. And with that in mind, then... Then the story becomes about management, managing the resources of another. I I really don't know that any other place, perhaps in the world, certainly in the United States, actually should have insight into what it means to manage others' resources as people who live in northern Delaware. So I, I I can't go very many miles in northern Delaware without seeing a Bank of America or a Wells Fargo or a Discover or a Chase or a Barclays. Or, I mean, it's all over. This is, this is like one of the banking capitals of the world. And so we see that and we're reminded. And, and tons of us in, in this congregation have either friends or family or you yourselves are employed by, by financial industry. And you recognize you're not managing, you're not, you're not working with your own money, you are managing someone else's. What a huge responsibility. Every time you hop on I-95 and go to work or log in from your home, if you're in that industry, you recognize firsthand, I don't own this money, I manage it. It comes with huge responsibilities, but it comes with blessings. It comes with huge responsibilities that God, like we don't have an earthly boss or uh, an earthly board or an earthly shareholder, we have God himself. But how amazing is it is that we like to sometimes divide ourselves into like how, how much money we, we have and I have more and I'm kind of in this range and this range. And this is the way God looks at all of us, every single person in this room, the person that made the, the least, the person that made the most, the student, the, the senior adult on a fixed income. He, he looks at all of us as stewards. We all have this opportunity to steward things that are not our own, but God's entrusted us with. All of us have that. We may have different degrees of stewardship, but we all have the same, the same responsibility. And that means likely we're going to manage things differently. And I think that's a blessing too. God gives us freedom. So how you might choose to manage the resources that God has given you, that he owns, but he's entrusted to you, how you may manage may be quite different than the way I manage. And we could both be faithful and honoring to the Lord. There's a great amount of flexibility here. It's not one size fits all template, but seasons change. And, and so God gives, us, uh, God gives us his word to guide us, but God also gives us a brain to think through like what will, what will managing what God has given to me look like in this stage of life with these set of circumstances? Do you know that? Do you, can, can we just remind ourselves again that everything that I have is from him? I'm not an owner I'm a manager entrusted with things. So now we have a question. Now we have a question if I'm not an owner, but I am a manager. The question would be, how wisely am I managing what God entrusts to me? 
how wisely am I managing what God entrusts to me? Let me read this story again. And, and again, it kind of messes with our categories a little bit because the dishonest manager in verse 8 gets commended. But what does he get commended for? He gets commended for his shrewdness. That's what verse 8 says. He gets commended for his shrewdness. In, in other words, his management is... Earthly speaking, it's very, very wise. How is it wise? How is it so shrewd? What does shrewdness look like? Well, we know shrewdness when it relates to managing money for someone else might mean discerning and focusing on the owner's priorities and goals. It may mean assessing risk. It may mean looking at how do I maximize profits out of this. It may mean looking at dangers and threats and long-term viability and eliminating waste and having an advantage on competitors. All those things would be shrewd management of money. This particular individual, the dishonest manager thought about circumstances. And he, remember, he, even as Alton read, he didn't, he didn't want to beg and he, and he didn't want to dig in any ditches. He didn't want to do manual labor. He doesn't want to beg. So what he does is he recognizes the value of relationships, doesn't he? He recognizes the value of relationships. He pays attention to that. Wisely, he pays attention to that. And he goes out and he uses money to make friends. So everybody likes the guy that just cut the debt in half. I mean, all, all the debtors love that. Breathe easier, payments are easier. The manager pays attention to relationships. And he banks on those relationships making a difference. The manager shrewdly pays attention to something else, and that is, like, there was nothing he could do short-term to help himself out. Like, he's getting fired. It, this is no good situation. But he could do something about the future. So he's wise, he's shrewd in that relationships matter. I mean, I mean, sure, the bottom line counts, but often we'll say it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And he makes sure he secures some relationships. And he also looks out in the future and says, I may not be able to do anything about today, but I hope to wake up and, and, and breathe tomorrow. And I hope to see next week and next month and next year. And it'll be real nice to have some friends then who will help me out. He looks out into the future, not so absorbed in what's happening immediately. I mean, this, this man is willing to be dishonest in his approach. He's willing to use money to buy friendships. He's willing to use money selfishly to protect his future. I think Jesus says this is the way the world often works. Money is used to maximize security. Money is used like to make life just ah, a little bit more comfortable. Money is used to give yourself a level of prosperity. The manager sees money can be used as a tool. And so he plays fast and loose with another person's money, another person's resources, to maximize his own security. The question Jesus wants us to consider is not like, well, how should I follow this man in his dishonesty? That's, never, that's not it. The question is, how can I manage my resources wisely? How can I manage what's been entrusted to me wisely? 
if all that was done in self-interest, if all that was done for selfishness, if, if all of that dishonesty was leveraged so that that man would be a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more security, then how much more, how much more when we have an ownership from God, when God's entrusted us with things, when the maker of the world, when the creator of you, when the redeemer of your soul has, has entrusted you with things, how much more should you think carefully and be wise about the things you invest in? The dishonest steward takes resources that are not his own and utilizes them to build a community, really, who's going to take care of himself, to take care of him in the future. But we as stewards of God, we who are identify as Christian, we take resources that are not our own, but we're meant to utilize those to build a different kind of a community a community that delights and hopes in God. That's the way we're supposed to use our resources. Do do we understand that? Do we take the priorities of the owner into account? Like what really matters to God? What matters to God is that good news be spread all throughout all nations. What matters to God is this name that he is making for himself, that at that name every knee bows, every tongue confesses. What matters to God is that sinners be reconciled to him. What matters to God is to show that nothing, no treasure on earth compares to him. Do we take the resources he's entrusted to us? Do we invest them in those ways? Do we invest them in ways that show we love him and we love our neighbor? If we truly say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus... Jesus said there are two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Do we manage our resources to to do that? Are we investing in those sorts of things? Someone said it well. So we have property and ability and time. They belong to this life only. But Jesus says that what will happen to you then after, after we breathe our last then, when we pass into another life, the next life, New heavens, new earth will depend on what we are doing with that property and ability and time now. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, this is some instruction from Paul. He would say, teach those who are rich. Man, I always feel like when I read rich, I always want to, mentally I go, well, that can't be me. I'm middle class, right? And yet when I think about the, the world, I just think we all walked in here, I'd say, at least 99% of us, if not 100. All 7 billion on the people, if we, if we take all of those into account, we're all rich. So let, let's hear this word as if God's talking directly to us. Teach those who are rich, that's us, in this world, don't be proud and don't trust in your money, which is so unreliable. Paul's saying, Timothy, tell them their trust should be in God because God is the one who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, listen, it's the same priorities. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future that they may experience true life. I mean, two priorities, again, it's the priority of like sharing with others the relationships that will matter. And there's this long view, this eternal, eternity that will, will, will far outlive us how we spend our resources now. So, I mean, we, we can live in Luke 16 world, and then it's important to go to 2016 world, 
and ask some important questions here. So if I looked, and if you looked at, at my, if you looked at my checking account and savings account, if you looked at my credit card statement, if you looked at my cash management system, if you looked at all my receipts, all the transactions, let's say in the last week, let's go back to September 1st. Would those give any indicator that I'm attempting to wisely manage something that's not my own? So you're going to see, you know, you're going to see mortgage and you're going to see you know, this bill and taking care of clothing and food and you're going to see all those things. And, and, and that's part of living in this world. Would, you, would, would there be any evidence that another world matters to me? Would you be able to... Would, if someone looked at your statement, would they be able to go, what is that? What is that expenditure? What's going on there? And what if you were to say, you know, I believe in God who is my maker, and I think I owe everything to him, and that's a small percentage of my return that I'm giving back to him. Or if I were to say, what is that particular, what, what is that particular charge? What, what is that receipt from? Maybe you would say, you know, relationships matter to me. And friendships matter. And godly friends matter to me. Maybe your receipt would be like a, a friend of mine this week. His receipt is he, he took me out to lunch. And we shared pizza, but we shared much more than pizza. We talked, how are we doing in life? How are we doing in our commitments? How are we doing in our walk with the Lord? He treated me to lunch. But there was an investment in that. There was an investment in a relationship. There was an investment in, in a friendship. There was an investment that's going to live far beyond like, like the pizza. There's something that that receipt represents more. And so I just ask if we did an internal audit on, on all that we possess, all that we manage, all that we, we would think we own, what, what is that saying about us? So, well, if I had more, well, what about what you do have? What if we budgeted our time? What if we took an audit of our time? Would it say, would it tell the story, we love God and we love our neighbors? Would it tell that story? Or is there some other story it would tell? Are we willing to deprioritize the immediate and say, you know, there's not a credit card charge for this pleasure, this luxury. But what it is, it's a financial contribution to my church or to this particular organization or this particular cause because I th- think this really matters. And Jesus has called me to love my neighbor. And that's what that means. And I'm willing to live on less because I think there's eternal rewards. Are we investing in those things? I mean, the question in verse 10, and it comes up in verse 11 and verse 12, there's this word that repeats. So, Let me just read it for you. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little. That word is also faithful in much. Verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in that which is another. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And that just changes the the concept. I'm commissioned by God to be faithful. So I could say, well, you know, I'm just kind of a stingy person. But, but is God okay with me being stingy because he owns it? Did God give me a direct commission to be stingy with my resources? And if not, then could it be that I'm not actually walking in integrity before God and fooling myself all the time? Just saying, well, I just like to keep stuff. It's not so much even a question of being stingy or miserly. 
Could it be that I'm actually taking from God, mismanaging his funds? Sometimes we feel like, you know, we look at our checking account and, and frankly, there's not much there and you hear this and every impulse, because you are a Christian, every impulse says, I, I want to give, I really don't know where to start. And I'd say, start somewhere, start giving something, start having a tangible reminder on a regular basis and, 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 and start by something. And maybe you just give, like, I find the things that matter to me most and the things that are most important and the things that are most critical to my life often show up like monthly or weekly. And so what if monthly you were to say, I'm going to set aside a particular amount. I'm going to give that away. It's going to reflect my heart that I love God and I love others. I'm going to give that away. And, and maybe, maybe you don't start with a number you've heard at church, like 10%. Maybe you say, I don't even know how I could start with that. But maybe you could start with 1% or 2% or 3%. And God say, God, grow my heart because my heart is, I want to prove by my resources, the money that's not my own, that I'm managing. I want to use it to invest in things that will long outlive me. And maybe you, you start there. Maybe over time, that percentage grows and grows and grows to where you find yourself having years have been sacrificially generous. Like you've, you've sent up rewards in heaven. You've counted, you, you've walked in faith, saying, I, I think this matters. We can all start somewhere. My, my issue is not so much like, I think I'm, I'm robbing God. It's by God's grace, you know, kind of early in my life, I was disciplined to give. It's kind of just been part of the rhythms of our family. I do think I have to ask myself in this week reading it, like, do I ever think about managing, let's say I give you 15%. Do I, do I think about the 85% that I don't just give away to God and his work? Do I think about that and I, am I managing that wisely? Do I ever think about it or it's just autopilot? If I need groceries, I'll go do this. If I want that, I'll buy that. If I need that, I'll save a little bit of money. Or is there... Am I looking at a bigger picture going, there's, there's got to be some shrewdness here. There's got to be some wisdom. And, and I don't want to use it for selfish gains. I want to use it in what are some wise ways that I could maybe eliminate this so that I could give more here, that be more generous there. What is it that I could say, you know, I don't need that immediate impulse where I'm just tempted to go, ah, sure, I'll buy it I, and not think twice about it. Where could, I, where could I stop and think a little bit more and go, ah, maybe there's a wiser way to invest that five bucks. At $20, at $100. What does it mean to be wise and shrewd? Do I think regularly? Here's, here's a question I'm asking. Do I think strategically of serving people? Like, how can I do that in a wiser way? Do I think strategically of eternity, helping people follow Jesus, giving to those in need? Jesus has one more theme he wants to cover before he leaves the this subject of money for this particular time. In verse 13, he says, like, no servant can serve two masters. And he is talking about money, as you'll see at the end of the, the chapter, or the verse here, for either he hates one and loves the other, devoted to one, despises the other. You can't serve God and money. And there's people that don't like that. They're the lovers of money, but yet they've got this kind of outward surface of piety. Everybody thinks, wow, that's a spiritual person. That's a religious person. What an inspiration they are. And Jesus knows their heart and says, you're, you're playing around. You act, like you're just, you're, you act like you're worshiping God, but in your heart you love money. And he says that's not okay in verse 15. God knows your heart. And what's exalted right now among men, actually, your greed is an abomination. Like I say that word for like the D 
deep, ugly sins, and God wants to just slap it on to greed and say, that's an abomination. A question that I'm asking when I read, especially verse 13, it says, we can't serve two masters. We're either serving, you know, we're a slave to one or a slave to the other. Devoted, we love one, we love the other. The question I would say is, how controlling has stuff become in my life? I think that's the question that Jesus wants all of us to ask. Yes, how am I managing wisely what God has entrusted to me? But also, how controlling has stuff become? Has it become the place where it's my master? Where I got to just have one more, one more thing, a bigger thing, this thing, this particular, you know, the, the luxury this and the upgrade on that, and I've got to have it, and it becomes to... Not just be something that I use, but something that actually controls me. Jesus used that term service like no one serves two masters. I rarely think like, there's my debit card. What do you have to say to me, master? You know, I don't think that. There's my discover card. What, do you, what will you have me to do? But I know there are impulses in my heart that say, you know, I want it. I'm going to get it. They have it. That looks pretty nice. I think I should have one of those. There it is, and how controlling it can be. The stuff of life, the things we collect and stockpile and pursue and overjoy, the the toys, the grown-up toys, the money, the investments. We're we're fearful if we were to lose it. We're frustrated when anything happens to it. What kind of control does it have? Jesus would remind us, if you try to save your life, your possessions, you'll lose it. But if you give them up for his sake in the gospel, you never lose it. You never lose that investment. As I read this, I recognize I am such an imperfect manager of what God's entrusted to me. But then I'm reminded that Jesus Christ died for imperfect managers. He died for those are sinners, those who, whether by greed or by negligence, have mismanaged all that he's given us. There's only one who perfectly stewarded everything, and that's Jesus Christ. What's amazing about him is though he was rich, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so we could know the riches of his grace, be made rich through him. wonder today, are there questions we need to ask? Evaluate our heart. Do we need to assess whether stuff is controlling us right now? I mean, it never seems like that. That's why we kind of just press pause and we go, okay, let me do a heart check. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know your heart. Is stuff collecting, stockpiling, upgrading, is it controlling you right now? What next steps could you take? Who do you need to talk to to free you from the love of money? Or maybe maybe you've seen, like I've seen in my life, some failures in managing, maybe neglect or wrong priorities, and, and you find yourself needing to confess and forsake and repent again. What next steps do you need to take? So this is one of those deals that isn't so much like in a few moments, you respond immediately. This is one of those things like we go this afternoon or we go later on this evening or we go tomorrow and go, okay, what needs to look different? What needs to look different in my life? What needs to look different this week? Maybe for the first time, you're beginning to open your eyes that God is the one who's the owner. Maybe you've never considered that God owns it all. God has a say in your life. 
Maybe some of the first steps would be acknowledging that, that he owns it all. What next steps would you take? Who do you need to talk to? And just ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Just in the remaining few minutes we have here. Had an encounter with Jesus where he's spoken. So can we in these moments take inventory of our hearts? Lord, may you use every bit of ambition to further your good work in our lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.